Hey, Steven, what are we doing here? Oh, fuck if I know. <laughs> I think we're going to talk you know, about like, a book. We're going to talk about the third book. And I guess it's not a trilogy, is it? Because there's going to be more books. True, true. I mean, but currently it's a trilogy because Brandon Sanderson could, like, die tomorrow and then, like, it, it'd be a trilogy. Sure, we could all die tomorrow. Right? So, like, there's no guarantee that it's not going to just be three books. Um, That's true. What was what was this one called? Uh, this Oath- one's called Oathbringer. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, uh, but we're not going to do that quite yet, because first... I want to talk to you about, like, you know how a lot of different charities and stuff try to get you to, like, subscribe through giving you knickknacks and stuff like that, collectibles? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I find that I'm very susceptible to this, but then I get a collectible, and I'm like, now what? Because the thing I see all over the internet now are these pins. Pins. Like, yeah, pins. Like the writing uh, utensil I've... or the thing you wear? Oh, a pin. P-I-N. Thing you wear. Mm. So it's, now that I, I have, like, six of them, Wait, and I the like the... Wait, where the you get these pins? Well, various things, but, like, you know, I, I, I donated to a couple charity causes, and you get a pin for that. Okay. And now I have pins, and I liked the idea of the pin when I saw, like, oh, that's a cool pin... I'm like, but I don't collect pins. And what do you do with pins? Am I going to just like... You throw them away. Well, none of us are punk rock enough to appreciate pins. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, explain to me why being more punk rock would lead me to a pin lifestyle. If you had like a badass like denim battle jacket, you could put pins and patches all over you'd be like hell yeah a pin and you'd put it on your battle jacket yeah so uh, to me this conversation is it's kind of going the same direction of the way i discuss uh computer stickers rob i'm guessing you don't but i'm guessing steven does do either of you work in a put stickers on your laptop environment my laptop is covered in djing related stickers Okay, that's different. I'm talking about like your work at work, oh. people you work with. No, I mean I'm no. sure it. Okay, I'm sure it's probably allowed. It's just no one really does it because they're like refurbished, like decent laptops. They're not like cool, state of the art laptops yeah. that like belong to us. They're company laptops. Yeah. Yeah, okay. are there all company laptops and so people don't put stickers on them? And like ninety nine point nine percent of the time everyone's laptop is just plugged into their docking station, so like Yeah. You okay. never see them anyway. Rob, first of all, it's really impro- inappropriate to say that on the podcast. Okay. What docking so, station? Just docking. <laughs> oh. Uh <laughs> I mean like <laughs> as long as we don't get into sounding as well. <laughs> I don't know that one. Me Please either. tell. Look it up That's on a... your own time. I will look it up <laughs> on my own time right now. Oh, but in the show notes, that. in the show notes, there will be an Urban Dictionary Ooh, link. I do Please. know what this is. Please click at your own at your own risk because I am about to look it up too. So you guys got to fill the void of what I'm. Yeah. Okay. 
So I'm going to guess sounding is when the Seattle Sounders win the MLS Cup. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh. Yeah. So it happened yesterday. Which is somehow ago, still pornographic. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the reason I asked is because in Seattle tech company culture, people work laptop, personal laptop, doesn't matter. They fucking cover their laptops and stickers. Just covered. What kind of stickers? Like political stickers? No, like tech stickers. Some some political. What's a tech sticker? Like uh, C++ is the best. No, like a get like products, like a GitHub sticker or an Azure sticker or an Amazon Web Services sticker or there's a popular Go sticker. Go is a is a programming language, but whenever you want to compile or something like that on the command line, you would type like Go is the name of the executable space build, right? Go build. It's kind of a cute, interesting thing for that language that like all of their commands can be go, build, whatever. So let and me so, ask you this. Microsoft is the creator slash main curator of the language of C, right? Uh, not, no. Microsoft is the creator of C Sharp. Okay, so that, either way. Okay. Are you allowed to have like competing companies stickers on your laptop? Like, can you have a Java sticker at Microsoft and no one would be like, "Sweet, yeah, that would be fine." Wait, do you still work for Microsoft? No, you work for Oracle, right? Yeah. Okay. And even yeah, Oracle, but I don't know any of Oracle's competitors to make an example of. So like, Oracle, I don't know. So fun story: Oracle owns Java, so you could have a C sharp sticker or something like that. So the you shit on Java a lot. Like, I do. Gross. It's an awful, awful language. <laughs> Actually, let me let me back up for a second. It's not an awful language. It was a great language until it didn't innovate for ten years, and it has now just been constantly at least ten years behind on every area of computer programming language uh, development. So, would you have made that last caveat? before you worked at Oracle or is that just something oh, you no, I, bone? No, I would have I would have still I would have made that caveat. Like I loved Java when I learned it. But I learned it in like two thousand one. And in two thousand one it was a great language. It was like the only good cross platform virtual machine based uh, garbage collected like memory managed language. Um, but then C Sharp came along, there's been Go since then, and Dart, and C++ is, like, light years ahead feature-wise of Java. Like, Java just, it, it shat the bed for, they were like, they just plastered the statement, we're in 4 billion devices or whatever, and then they thought that they had won because of that, and then just didn't innovate. <clears throat> so the language is just awful now, compared to other languages. Um, but yeah, so there's a, there's a popular go sticker, uh, that says go fuck yourself. One of my coworkers has that <laughs> sticker on his, on his laptop. Um, but the reason I bring this up is for me, those stickers are kind of like the way you feel about the pins right now. What the fuck do I want gumming my laptop up with stickers? Like I keep that shit clean, man. Like I'm like windexing that shit every week. I don't want stickers on there fucking it up. Stickers are are a big deal in um like DJ and and burner culture too. Like yeah. every DJ has their own sticker or like has a sticker for like the 
the like residency that they do and and like yeah every like theme camp at a burn ends up making stickers usually yeah yeah i just i don't i like if i got a sticker that i really liked i guess i would be okay putting it on my work laptop uh mostly because it's not mine um but like i can't put a pin on my work laptop like if I start poking holes in the laptop, they're gonna have a real problem with that. Uh, yeah, that that's true. You probably shouldn't do that. So, here we are again. So I knew a woman at Microsoft who maintained basically a huge, like a GitHub repo full of the stickers that she had made for Go. I'm trying to find them because she had some pretty funny ones. So just images of them images of them and then you could send them off to get them printed or whatever oh um, well you just print them out on paper and use some scotch tape i mean you can do that too if you want like you, you homemade can, sticker yeah you can you can do whatever you want here let me i'm about to find it actually here and we can link it in the show notes and everything but I'll i imagine a very you. small percentage of our audience is going to understand go based humor i mean <laughs> I'm with you, but it's it's not. You don't necessarily have to be a gopher. They call themselves gophers. By Gross the way, people who like go. I uh, hate it. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> uh, Is there one that says "Go Dog Go"? Because that would a, be. There's a Batman gopher. That's a pretty good one. Uh, I don't see any go dog goes. Gopher dad. <laughs> So like, I'm guessing this gopher is like an actual like symbol that they use and that yes. facet. Yep. It's definitely a symbol that they use. Why did none of the pictures load fully in my browser and I have to scroll over to see the picture? Yeah. Um, probably because of the way uh, GitHub renders stuff. It's not really meant for images. Well, anyway. Uh, yep, anyway. Uh, so... It's a really big thing in tech for some reason, and I just don't get it. I'm not a huge fan, personally. Old man yells at cloud. Pretty much. <laughs> I just don't... Uh, I hate the... Des- I'm, I'll shut up. I don't want to talk shit about your coworker. Well, I mean, I, I don't work with her anymore. What? This is just like... These little yeah. gopher characters, I just they're awful. Uh, so it's not actually she didn't invent it. Oh, okay. The gopher, like, like that is the here, gopher. That gopher? is the, <laughs> correct. That is the official gopher of Go, the programming language. Like, if you go to the main website, it's developed by Google, by the way. Go is. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's actually not. I don't know. It, it took off. Like Google made it, and it took off. And I was like. If any other company had made this language, it would not have taken off. Like, but I mean, isn't that true with a lot of products? It's like more who makes it than I like. Yes, it's just if not random that Chinese of a language. If random Chinese company number seven were to release the iPhone 11 right now, how do you think it would sell? Yeah, I mean, I I get your point. I I just to me like. So much of like when you're a programmer, so much of your life is sitting there staring at your screen of code that you've written and like go is just hard to look at in my opinion but anyway we're diverging
Okay, guys, we read uh, book three of the Stormlight Archive. First of all, before we kick off this section of the review, I want to say there's going to be spoilers for shit. Um, I thought of a good spoiler and um, of like something other than the book series, and that was going to be a great analogy, and now I forgot it. So hopefully I'll think of it later. Cool story. Um, I want to... <laughs> I want to thank you guys for uh, reading these books, even though you probably didn't have to. Uh, but they're they're my favorite. I super enjoyed it. I also just cracked my voice, so that was great. Um, <laughs> uh, so here we go. First things first. Uh, I hope that Rob makes the title of this one. Someone dies. <laughs> Because the title to the other one was something like, No One Ever Dies. <laughs> and in this one, at least, in my opinion, two important people die. One, Elokar dies. And despite what Rob may say, I think he's actually dead. Two, oh, I wasn't going to argue with that. I was going to say that he's not important. But that's... Not- <laughs> oh, that I will argue the shit out of. I will kill, I will kill you on that argument. <laughs> um... And then the other one who dies, maybe maybe Rob, he'll be more important to you, is uh, Jezrian, or Yezrian, or however the fuck he's pronounced, uh, I believe, kind of dies. I don't think any of the Heralds can actually die, but he gets stabby-stabbed by a, a weird dagger, and his soul probably got trapped in the gem and the dagger, as far as you can tell from reading the books. Yeah, um, it's hard for me to really argue that Yezrian is important as well, as, like, we didn't know that was Yezrian until about five pages before he was dead. He's, um... Yeah. He's cosmologically important. He's important to right, the universe but we don't of know the if book, it'll... but, like, he hasn't been an important yeah. character up until this point. Yeah. So, right. anyway, to me, I... We'll talk about this later. Okay, so it starts off... We, uh, in the last book, we just had our huge culmination where, you know, uh, Kaladin speaks the third ideal and then Shallan tells another truth, which is that she killed her mother and father or one of those things she told the truth for. They open the oath gate, they go to Eurothero and holy shit, they're at a magical city. And then right at the end of the book, Adolin also fucking kills Sadius. Right in the goddamn eye. Right in the goddamn eye. A lot of eye stabbing in these books, honestly. Yeah, I think he likes... I, I, I have to say, well... Well, considering how important eye color is, it makes sense that people get stabbed in the eye a lot. Yeah, I it's, say, like, like, it's like symbolic, kind of. Um, like, it's not... It's like one of those things, like, like, like knees backward. It gives me, like, that deep, unsettling discomfort. And, like, um, the fact that it happens so much, there's a lot of deep, settled, uh, like, discomfort. I see. See, uh, no, no offense, but if I were to watch a video of someone getting stabbed in the eye versus backward knees, it's going to be backward knees every time that's going to fuck me up. Yeah, I, yeah, I think You're backward knees is worse. dead with backward knees, but it just looks so much worse. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that, that, that stance. Uh, anyway, so we're all at Eurothiru. Everyone's sad that Sadius is dead, except not really. So literally, no one is sad that Sadius <laughs> is dead. It's the opposite of what you said. I know. 
So Dalinar creates like a commission where Adolin's in charge of discovering who the murderer is. Shallan ends up helping him, but will break everyone in pieces. Uh, Dalinar is trying to get his coalition of people together, so he's get he's inviting people over. He realizes that he can invite uh, monarchs and world leaders into his dreams, so he starts doing that. That's it at the beginning. Kaladin at the beginning is mostly training up windrunners and tackling social issues like women in the army and gay people. Um, and then Shallan... <laughs> tackling social issues like women in the army and gay people sounds yes. like he's getting women in the army and tackling gay it's people. Tackling, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> but it's, it's really interesting. I think I like the way Sanderson does it. Um, by the way, this is a good time um, to possibly tell you that a long time ago... After uh, J.K. Rowling announced that Dumbledore was gay, uh, Brandon Sanderson wrote a blog post about that a long time ago. And despite the fact that I don't agree with his like absolute with with his actual beliefs at the time, I do like the sentiment. He was basically like. It was kind of cool for a Mormon author. It's kind of cool when he was like, "You guys need to chill the fuck out." If she says Dumbledore's gay, then he's gay. Who cares? Um, and he ended up uh, like updating the blog post later and saying that he was for like just every state or or the state sort of so quote unquote to just use a different word for everyone, which is a position that I think is fine for people who have religious positions. I prefer that above the position where you just don't think people should have equal rights. For me, I don't give a shit about the word marriage, so it doesn't really matter to me which word the state uses. Uh, but to me, it's more about not segregating the water fountain. I don't care whether the water fountain has fluorine in it or not for everyone. Call it what you call it water, call it syrup. As long as everyone gets to use the same one, it's fine. Anyway, uh, you guys might want to go read that. Check it out. It's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, he has a gay character, Drahi, and a little, a few of the characters talk about um, talk about you know what that means for the Windrunners and things like that. It's kind of interesting. There's not a lot of sections about it, but it's still kind of interesting. So Kaladin's doing that kind of stuff. So kind of in the middle, the, that's kind of the first section of the book, and. Uh, the most excitement probably happens to Shallan in the first section of the book. She basically uh, starts to delve into the fact that she has multiple personality disorder. And so she invents these characters and uses her light weaving to both create illusions of them and like almost like it's almost as if she can light weave her mind into this new mindset. So she has two different uh personas one is called Vale which is more like a rough and tumble uh like badass thief or spy woman um and the other one is Radiant who's like the kind of like a Yasna equivalent and uh yeah so she ends up like trying to investigate the murders and so she goes to some bars and stuff and then she ends up finding out that there is a uh an unmade, which is one of the nine like super evil spren that Odium created in Eurythiru, her and some of the Wind Runner runners go and deal with that. Um, 
Oh, shit. I forgot an entire part of Kaladin. Balls. Kaladin goes to his hometown. Mm. I forgot. It's so early in the book, and it's not that... It's like 10% in that he's no longer there. But he goes to his hometown, and um, it's kind of cool. He's... I actually love that section. I remember when I read it the first time, I was like, he handled it better than I thought he would, but also... Uh, he's also, it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of like, let's check out the superheroes. This is going to be fun. Like he is a night radiant and blah, blah, blah. And he's like hopping from town to town and cool shit like that. He ends up getting captured by some parchmen who have been recently freed by the Everstorm. And he creates what will probably be one of the central conflicts of the entire series. Not he creates it, but he is the first witness to it, which is the fact that, 98% of the Parshmen are just people and they just want to be free. And you start to see that there's like this, it's it's kind of like this uh, dramatic irony almost where like you as the reader know that they're just everyday people because of the experience that Kaladin has with them. But you also see everyday Parshmen getting corrupted through the book by the fact that the fused are around, like the fused and the regals. And if if there weren't any like old gods around, then they'd all just be free and like go live somewhere else or try to. Um, but the funny, the interesting thing for me, and one of the reasons why I love this series is because the good guys aren't the good guys. Like, even so, even if uh, you know, the fused, quote-unquote, are bad, it doesn't change the fact that, like, the Parshman rising up is still, like, something that I would agree with, right? It's like they have every right to, and, and Kaladin kind of sees that. He's like, they should be angry, right? We've enslaved them for thousands of years. They should be angry. And so that's one of the reasons why I love this series, is it's not black and white. You still love Kaladin, you still love Dalinar, but, like, you're confused about who you actually want to side with. And that's that's when, like, the book gets really fun because you're like, I know, I just won't side with anyone. Well, like, the, the, the I think what he meant is, like, a major plot twist in the storyline that happens in this book is finding out that the... Ah. the uh, Humans. The, the Voidbringers. Are the Voidbringers. Are the Voidbringers. And I think he meant that as, like, a huge, like, Wow, plot twist. Uh-huh. But that, like, that didn't really change my feelings at all. And maybe that's coming as an American, where, like, we already live in a country where we were the void bringers. So, like, <laughs> I thought, I we thought are, the, yeah. the 4,000 years of enslavement is way more heinous than the initial invasion could ever have been. Yeah, so I also agree, and I think it's, to me, that's why I think that's going to be the bigger plot point, is not this, like, you could already see some of the characters rationalizing, does it really matter? Like, we, sure, we fucked up our old land, but we just, we came here trying to find a place to survive, whereas Kaladin is still struggling with the, like, the relationships he formed while he was a captive of the Parchman, right? Right, I just found it, like, a little unrealistic that all of the characters, like, a lot of the the Windrunners have this, like, internal, like, struggle 
with them being the Voidbringers, but had no issue with the 4,000 years of slavery. Like, they would just go back to enslaving the Parchment, but, like, the fact that they weren't the original inhabitants really bothers them. And I was like, is that where the issue is here? Is that where, is that where you're the bad guys more? Yeah, so I think it's, it's probably hard. Well, I think for me, the best way to describe what I think he's trying to convey is the fact that um, for most of them that's still the status quo, right? It's like, uh, I don't know the best way to explain it, but yeah. After 4,000 years, the status quo has changed. Like, it is no longer the status quo. So let me rephrase. It's just like, (laughs) that's been so ingrained, right? And then, but both of these things have been ingrained, right? It's like the Parshmen are slaves and the Voidbringers are the scaries that come in the night. Yeah. Right? And then realizing that you're the scaries that come in the night is like an identity crisis, I guess. Yeah, like, I'm I'm not going to try and excuse thousands of years of enslavement, but there is an, appreci- an appreciable difference between enslaving a people and being the thing that brings about the near like annihilation of everyone else on the planet every thousand years or so. Yeah. Uh, But I think my point is, I think he's going to, that's why I feel like this struggle of those two issues, let's say the, we're the void bringers are going to tamp down and the, we enslave these people. They like should, are we really doing the right thing there is going to shift. And I'm just saying it's, it's too early in the, that was the status quo uh, for the people to immediately change. Whereas someone like Kaladin is one of those people who's going to be, you know, most struggle with it most and cause other people to start to struggle with it as well. I is my guess, but I don't really know. But anyway, and right now, Kaladin's the only one struggling with the slavery bit, whereas everyone else is struggling with the we're the Voidbringers bit. Yeah. And I think he planned, like, that was the whole plan, right? Because of because the fact that Kaladin is, like, the most, uh, you know, f- he internally feels the most pain from the class divisions between Light Eyes and, and Dark Eyes. Not... I'm like in the book of the characters that you know, he feels the most pain, and so he empathize immediately empathizes with the Parsh people, um, and so I think they're just called the Parsh. But anyway, um, I I just think I this is one of the reasons why I love this series is because it's like who I don't actually agree, um, and it's like even if we're fighting Odium, I still think that if the Parsh were to uprise without Odium, you couldn't really fault them for that, right? Like, Oh, totally. The, but Right? They're... The fact that we're trying to fight Odium, like, okay, that makes sense. Cool, we're trying to fight Odium. He wants to fuck up the world. But the fact that the Parsh are part of Odium's plans is like they're, you know, justified in some of the way that they react to being immediate, like all of a sudden... Free, free of mind, I guess you could say. 
Um, so that's the first sec- sec- section. The second section is mostly uh, Kaladin, Elikar, Shalon, and a few other people, Adolin, and a few other people going to um, Kolinar to try to f- to defend it or figure out what the hell is going on there since they can't get any communications from there. And then on Dalinar's side, he is uh, basically his memories of the past are starting to come back. And you you learn that he is a motherfucking monster. Yeah. Like, which is one of the things that, another thing that I love about this book is you're like, why do they call him the Blackthorn? Was he just like this badass, you know, knight slashing people? And they're like, no, he's a fucking despot. <laughs> like, he is literally the worst character you have met in the series, <laughs> including Odium. Um and I love that about the series, just the fact that he is so righteous now and was a dick to Amaram, not that Amaram shouldn't have been a di- like, he shouldn't have been a dick to Amaram, but like, he's held in such high esteem, and yet he has this past uh, where he was basically a, a pure monster. Um, so those, were there any other sections in that middle section? Anyway, uh... They do a bunch of shit in Kolinar. They end up realizing that at least two unmade. I think they're actually revealed that there were three. There's the one that corrupts the Spren. Mm-hmm. That makes them weird looking. There's the one causing the Revel on the Oathgate platform. And there's the one infecting uh, the Queen. Whatever her name is. And I think the Queen was being affected well, by the same thing that affected Amaram at the end. Yellow but that's not an unmade, right? Isn't that directly Odium's influence because they swallowed a gemstone? No, that's so one of the unmade. That's how that unmade takes over a human body. I think it's mm-hmm. Yelignar or something like that. So the, you end up finding out there's three. I think the Spren Corruptor is Sajanat or whatever, <laughs> and then I forget. The other one's just called the Heart of the Revel or something like that. Anyway, uh, they all do some stuff. Kaladin goes to the guard, like the wall guard, to figure out what's going on and meets a woman named High Marshal Azure. Fun fact, she is a not, what's the best way to phrase this? Are you spoiling another book? Because don't do that. No, no, no. If you have read other books, you would know who she is. Who? High Marshal Azure. And And if you had read that book, it would be immediately clear who she was. Like so, what what book series is she from? Is she from the Mistborn series? No, she's from Warbreaker. Yeah, she's which is a one book series right now. She's uh like an. She seems like she's like an interdimensional bounty hunter, basically. Yep. <laughs> Ten points if you can figure out who she's after. Actually, they figure out who she's after, yeah, they, right? Yeah, they figure they, out she's after Zyle. That yeah, the Swordmaster yeah. guy. But do you know who else she's after? Wit, I guess. Mm. The other interdimensional character? Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, she is really cool. Uh, she's got a cool character in, in Warbreaker. Um, there is another character. So that's the other thing. So, cool. Anyway, they end up trying to save the city. They don't. And then this is when Elikar dies. And to me, I fucking love it. Like... I'm all about the redemption stories. Like, characters who are trying to redeem themselves are more fascinating to me. Um, 
and you end up realizing, like, I don't know if you guys realize this, but, um, Elicar was about to swear the first ideal of the... I mean, how could um, you not realize it? He says the first two parts. I know. Oh, yes. Um, what was that noise about? But they also think that he was going to... I think he was probably going to uh, swear the second ideal, which is to tell a truth. And that truth is that he's a bad king. But even more interesting is, remember all through the first and second book, how he's paranoid about uh, people trying to kill him? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, not a truth, wa- truth washer, uh, light weaver. He's seeing the symbol head creatures out of the corner of his eye. The entire time, he's like, I saw someone in the doorway, or I saw someone in the mirror, and stuff like that. And you end up realizing it's because he's about, or he's like on the path to become a light weaver. Just like Shallan saw those symbol headed, like every once in a while she would see briefly into Shadesmar and see the symbol-headed creatures that look like pattern in Shadesmar. That's what was happening to Elikar the entire time. Just pretty cool. Uh, he, so I... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, he almost... Does he say the first ideal? He's like halfway he to the most first ideal. And then he gets stabified. And then he gets stabified by Moash. Yeah, he said, he's doing it like mid-battle, which, you know, kind of a <laughs> dumb place to do it. Actually, I mean, isn't that where most of them have done it? That's where most of them have done it. Yeah, Kaladin does his as he's, like, trying to defend Elikar. Um But personally, I just thought, like, I love the way he wanted to be better. And, and the fact that he, like, when he dies, he's looking at the picture of himself that Shallan had drawn. Like, there's just so much bittersweet stuff in there when he dies, and... I personally think it's a, you know, really wrenches me when he when he died. I don't typically care that characters die. Like, characters dying, I don't... Like, if Kaladin dies right now, that doesn't really make me sad. Um, because you I, know he'd be back. Well, no, but sure. But <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's about, like, the, the journey. And Elikar's journey was, you know a little more tumultuous than some others, but he was trying to do better and he wanted to do better. Um, so anyway, they get teleported to Shadesmar and Sja and Nott is like, I'll try not to kill you, sorry. And then she teleports them to Shadesmar in an effort to not kill them, apparently. Uh, and then you just basically learn that Dalinar is just raping and pillaging, not raping, but, you know, slaughtering his way to victory on behalf of Gavilar. Who you end up finding out through various means that Amaram and Gavilar were part of the same group called the Sons of Honor, who were purposefully trying to bring back a desolation so that the heralds would come back and the church would gain power. Uh, so Gavilar is not the greatest. I liked what uh, I liked what uh, Stephen texted me. He was like, "It seems like Gavilar is really going for the make Alethkar great again." Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> and I, was, I was like, "Yeah, he is. He's like, he's not a great guy, actually." Um, so anyway, that's kind of the second part. Now we go to the third part or whatever. Everyone, um, all the heroes... You think that's what Thaddeus wanted too? Because that's why he was supporting Gavilar as he was on board with that. And that's why he kept on trying to like 
like interfere with Dal with Dalinar? It's because he was trying I... to bring back a desolation. You thought that maybe Dalinar could stop that. I don't know. There's no proof of that in the books. Um, Other than he was completely, like, against everything Dalinar did for seemingly no reason. Yeah, there's one chapter that is from uh, Sadius' point of view in the second book, right? Yeah, I remember that. And there is no indication to me that he has any alignment with the Sons of Honor or anything like that. It's just like he's... He just wants to be king so bad that he's going to just throw everything they've worked for away in all of this? Yeah, and and so I, I think that... Look, when you're as a complex a writer, in my opinion, as Brandon Sanderson, where you can come up with all these things where at the end of the third book you actually don't have a side, right? And you understand, like, there's lots of different things going on. Sometimes it is interesting to just have a dude who sucks, right? Who's just in it for for the gains, and that's Sadius, in my opinion. Well, he he also, I I think he was just being like uh, a typical Alethi in that he just like does not see the value in diplomacy at all. He's just like, it's either fighting or nothing. Yeah. So in the third section, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, like Sadius and Amaram were both bad guys. I just found Amaram's character to be a lot more complex and interesting bad guy than Sadius was. Like, Sadius was just a bad guy. Yep. Amaram, like, had, like, a full character that made... He was obviously a bad guy, but, like, there was a lot more to that character. Yeah, that's what I said. I think that there's enough complex bad guys. I, I, I have a feeling Odium is going to be more complex as well. Right, and so, and there's a lot of history there, um, and so I have a feeling that it, every once in a while he's just like, let's just have a bad guy, like just a flat, flat bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you, but uh, I also said was a bunch of times, and I'm going to argue that Thaddeus is the most important character to have died, and I very much don't believe that he's dead. Oh, no, he did. Odium's going to bring his ass back. Don't you worry about it. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe in a, in a fused sort of way, that's an, it's an interesting proposition. Like, if Odium can take the fused and help them inject themselves into a Parsha's body while they were, like, stuck in the spiritual realm, maybe he can pluck Sadius's body from the spiritual realm and stick it in a Parsh body? So, Maybe. In that form, yes. I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't see any. I don't think that Sadius was like even aware of Odium's existence. No, me neither. Um, so anyway, in the third section, part of what I forgot is like the entire time Dalinar is doing cool shit when he's visiting with monarchs. He's like giving cool poems written by Yasna to the Azish, and he's like, I don't know, rebuilding stuff in Thalen City with his cool-ass bondsmith powers and he also realizes that if he touches someone he can understand like build a he's a bondsmith and that he can also like bond on the spiritual layer like he can he can influence the way he's connected to other people and so he can start to speak other languages and process other languages so he's forming a pretty cool coalition while at the same time finally getting a memory realizing that 
because he didn't kill that kid uh, in his initial memory in the beginning where in the rift, now that kid is mounting an opposition and then that kid uh, basically tricks Dalinar to take his elites and chase after a fake would-be uh, turncoat on the side of Gavilar. Dalinar finds them and then realizes it's an ambush. Everybody dies but him. He hobbles back, fucking pissed as shit, and just decides to light the whole fucking city on fire and literally kills all the people. And then afterwards realizes that the uh, scouts or whatever, the messengers that the city sent to him before he fucking killed the messengers and then lit the city on fire were telling him that uh, his wife was there, like, hanging out. And uh, he killed her. Yep. So there's that. Because uh, so he's they, directly too. Like it wasn't just like a random fire. Like he actually was the one that threw the fire into the room where she was. Because they had turned the <laughs> the old hiding spot for the leader into a into prison. A prison. Yeah. And so he lit up the prison with her in it. Um, and so that starts to drive him mad in the past, and he starts to like become an alcoholic. Uh, Shalon during Shadesmar is like losing her fucking mind. She's going through personalities like it's nothing. One of the things that I love about what Brandon Sanderson does is how he's just like Vale said or Vale thought, and then the next sentence he's like Radiant th- said or Radiant thought, and I'm like, it's so good. He's like trying to really say like no, like literally she's flipping through all these personalities. <laughs> she's losing it. Um, one of my favorite things about the Shadesmar bit is the fact that Adolin's sword comes with him, and she is a dead cultivation spren named, uh, Maya something, I forget, he learns her name later, um, but she's got, like, scratched out eyes, and they call How do them... you know she's a cultivation spren? Is that from, like, outside reading? Uh, yes and no, you can, but there's hints in the books. The hints is that her skin is, like, viney. And so she's the same type of spren as Wendell uh, lifts spren, like the viney type spren, where they have vines growing on them and stuff. Is there? Do we know that Wendell's a cultivation spren? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, again, yes and no. You can pick it up from hints. Uh, right, but like the hints have to go to some facts that are not in the book yet. So you must be getting some outside information. No, no, no. Like, so like the hints that are viney and all that, I get it. But there's nothing in the book that's ever told us that viney sprint or cultivation sprint is there. Wendell says something towards the end of book three that suggests that he is a spren of cultivation. Uh, he says something like, oh, mother cultivation or something like that. And kind of the way I mean, that could just be like everyone says storm storms but they're not all you know it's kind of the same way sill calls the storm father her father even though he's not right it's like wendell calling cultivation his mother even though she's technically not you realize that he's whatever is the primary spren of cultivation which is is actually just called so cultivation is still alive right so he might be referring to the Night Watcher, maybe, because the Night Watcher is the Storm Father equivalent for cultivation, uh, as Honor is. But, like, yeah, cultivation has cultivation spread, just like Honor has Honor spread. Um, but anyway, that 
things like that, then people pick up on those things, and then they ask Brandon Sanderson in conferences and stuff, and then he either says, read and find out, or he says, you picked that up correctly, Wendell is a cultivation sprint, or whatever. Um, so there's tons of those types of references on all the wikis and stuff like that as well. Um, one thing I will say, you may not want to, tr- like, Stormlight has the most, uh, I'd guess a amalgamation of characters from other books. So unless you want to get certain other books spoiled, you may not want to read too much in the wiki. Like, characters that you know are from Roshar, you could look up. But, like, I wouldn't look up Zyle. <laughs> Because you're going to immediately find out who he is and where he's from and all that kind of stuff. Um, Oh, kind of in the background the entire time in the entire book, Zeth is becoming a skybreaker. And uh, Venli has a spren hanging out with her. A light spren called... That she calls Timber, I think? Yeah, Timber. Timber. The book pronounces it Timber, but it's spelled like the word Timber. Um... Anyway, so that happened to Dalinar. Everyone else is in Shadesmar. They're trying to figure out how to get back into the real world. They're like, do we either go to Cultivation's Perpendicularity in the Horn Eater Peaks, or do we go to an Oathgate in Thalen City because Kaladin saw something and he thought that uh, Dalinar would be in Thalen City. Uh, By the way, you meet another character from another series in that light tower, the light, or what? What's that called? Light. What is that thing called? Lighthouse. Lighthouse. <laughs> uh, that is a fascinating character as well. Wait, um, who is in the lighthouse? There's a guy in the lighthouse named a Shin. Like, Shin character. Shin from a Shin character. Oh, the the one who isn't that what they said he looked like? Yes, they did say he looked like a Shin character. Was he in the second or? or third book that guy who's like going around picking up wreckage from the Ooh, Everstorm no, that, that is um, that's a Natten, a Natten guy because he has blue this is the guy right? that lighthouse where they've got like the orb that like sees t- a future and then Kaladin hits it and that's how we know that Dalinar is in trouble yeah his name is Reno I think or Rhino, Rhino? oh is in Shadesmar you're talking about in oh, Shadesmar okay. yes Oh, yeah, you're talking about the other guy that's, like, on the Eastern Sea or whatever. Yeah. Um, ooh, that's the other thing. There's, like, a inter- interstitial chapter in Aemea, which is kind of cool. And an Aemean kills up, like, basically kills an entire ship worth of people. Um, so that's, that's kind of fun, too. Uh, but anyway, they go to a city called Celebrant, I think, in Shadesmar. Mm-hmm. They end up realizing that Spren have cities, um, Odium's. Like, they learn that Odium has control of Cultivation's uh, perpendicularity. They end up... Sill gets captured by some honor spren while they're trying to flee some fused. There's a bunch of references. What? Voluntarily, though. Voluntarily. Voluntarily. She gets captured to save everyone from the fused, basically. Um, There's a bunch of cool references from other books. Like, there's a painting... In one of the in one of the places that's interesting, there's like a a thin chain that's also interesting. Like there's some cool stuff, cool references in Celebrant. Um, I, and I get I get that, but I find it a little frustrating because without that, that Shadesmar part was super boring. 
Yeah. Um, Nothing happened that was important to the rest of the story. Like they could have just that could have not happened, and I don't think the book would have been any different from my perspective. Well, yeah, but the Cosmere would be different. It it did affect the 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 events in the book in in that like it changed the timeline of them getting to where they needed to get. Yeah. Right, but say, say instead that they just had flown with Kaladin's wind running and it just took them that length of time to get there. Like, it would have been the same story. I, I mean... If you had an uneventful fly. I don't know. I, I personally in, in, enjoyed having... getting a lot more now, knowledge of, like, how Shadesmar works. Yeah, to me, it's, like, it's very uh, world-building-y. Yeah. But, yeah, it's not... I have to admit, the first time I read it, I was kind of bored in that section too. Now this time that I re- I read it, I fucking loved it. Like I I loved the shit out of it. Um, cool. So uh, yeah, during that same time, you end up realizing that uh, Dalinar went to go visit the Night Watcher to. Um, not hear the voices that are plaguing him and why he drinks so much. And so he goes to the Night Watcher just as they're kicking off the, uh, the war with the Parshendi. And when he finally gets there, he asks her for forgiveness. And then Cultivation shows up, which is pretty cool. And she's like, bitch, I haven't shown up in like 2,000 years. So this is important. And one of the things that I didn't realize uh is she foreshadows like a lot of the ending but i didn't realize until the second read through she's she basically is like i'm going to cause you to lose your memories you're going to get them back when you get them back it's like 50 50 whether odium like like she sees in the future of him basically getting possessed by odium and she thinks it's possible and but she's like meh might as well try (laughs) <laughs> so uh i thought that was kind of cool so he ends she ends up excising all of his memories of evie and all of dalinar's memories of like the wrath last stuff and um you like then then that's why that's when you realize why he got his memories back because she said he was gonna get them back <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, and why it wasn't a normal permanent curse or permanent boon because all of the other accounts are from people who visited the Night Watcher, not someone who was visited by Cultivation herself. So, ah, cool. So, uh, Dalinar is starting to lose it a little bit because he realizes how much of a dick he was. Comes a drunk again. But he he, he starts to become a drunk again. And then ends up going to Thalen City anyway. Um, I would have liked Brandon Sanderson to do a better job of like how he was holding it together. It was like, oh, he's a drunk again for a second, but then he went to Thalen City anyway. Um, but anyway, then that's when all the shit hits the fan. So all of the all of the people in Shadesmar basically are trying to get over to Thalen City, and they get there and they realize that it's covered in like an entire fucking army of uh like souls like spren like evil souls and stuff little did they know and that's one of the cool things that i love that you learn a little bit is how all of those souls go away when the battle of thalen city starts 
because those are um, like soul representations of the fused getting fused to things like thunderclasts and things like that in the in the uh, battle. So all of those spren kind of get fused or whatever during the Everstorm at Thalen City. Uh, and then there's like nine fused left, so they're like battling their way through the fused. Uh, Shallan uh, starts to run out of stor- stormlight. Kaladin runs out of stormlight. Adolin gets stabbed in the belly, and they're like, "Ah, oh, shit, guys, we're fucked." <laughs> and then, meanwhile, in Thalen City, it gets attacked by Odium, and Odium has uh, the thrill. I forget which unmade that was. Nurgal was that right? Is that what we said? Anyway. Nurgaul or something like that and basically possess all of Sadius's troops plus Amram they start attacking slash taking over the city the Parshendi that are or the Parsh that are all on the boats and stuff aren't doing shit they're just there to watch the fun um, and then Odium basically reveals that he wants he agrees to a, a contest of champions and his plan all along was for Dalinar to to be his champion so he lets the thrill start to fuck around with Dalinar again and basically tells Dalinar that you know if he cedes his pain or cedes his responsibility to Odium he'll feel uh you know he won't feel the pain anymore and then Dalinar okay at the same time Yasna is about to kill Renarin because she realizes that Renarin's spren is a not the right spren avoid spren um it's a void spren and Renarin is seeing himself get killed by Yasna and also seeing his father fall to Odium. And then Yasna like basically can't do it. Uh, which is kind of, kind of interesting. I feel like he should have expanded on that a little bit more, but she just ends up kind of like all of a sudden seeing that, you know, she doesn't know what's wrong with Renarin, but she doesn't think that it's like, it, it obviously isn't going to, like, kill anyone, I guess. And so she doesn't kill him. And then so Renarin realizes that his visions are things that he that could happen, but not necessarily. <sighs> but then he also realizes, oh, man, that means that my father may not fall. So then they all go to help Dalinar. And literally, as they go down there, that's one of my favorite scenes, as Yasna is just, like, tearing bitches up like she's like walking on stairs that she's creating out of thin air and just like i don't know zapping air and like turning people into like fucked up lightning and shit and just blasting holes through a bunch of people like i just thought it was so cool how the entire time she's super reserved about her powers and very and then like all of a sudden she uses them like a fucking i don't know Else colored Jesus. Uh, and then uh, Dalinar's like, you can't have my pain. And that is kind of like, he realizes the third ideal. Or sorry, is it the third? It's the third ideal of the of his order of bondsmiths. Which is, uh, I will take responsibility for what the things I've done. Or something like that. And when he does that, he gets a surge of power and he ends up realizing the actual pol- power of a bondsmith, which is the ability to quote unquote ascend. And he can sense 
the same way he can bond with people and he can bond stone and he can bond uh, connections in the spiritual realm, he can bond the realms together. So <laughs> in a scene that is just like straight out of a fucking movie, he grabs two two other realms and slaps like them together. smashes two realities together. <laughs> uh, I just... And I told Steven that before I had gotten there, I was like, man, that ending bit, I remember it being kind of rough. It was just too much. Reading it for the second time, I was, it was like fucking awesome. It Because I knew what was happening, it made, I think he wrote it a little bit too much like a movie. You know how like an action movie would like switch in between the character's point of views over and over again and it would just be so, so badass? That's kind of how he writes it. And it's a little jar- like jarring the first time the second time i fucking loved it uh yeah it was a really climactic battle and also um the um a character who i was not expecting to play like an important part in a uh like cataclysmic battle is that uh thalen merchant girl yeah who has the the Uh, weird like dragon creature yeah, she has the um, fuck. What's it called? I know, but it can it can eat. It basically it eats stormlight, right? And so she's she's like in charge of the the royal treasury or something like that. Yeah, and then um, she gets attacked. Her and her old master get attacked in the treasury. Her master dies, doesn't he? Her master either dies or almost died i, I don't remember. know which but yeah then then there's that huge red gemstone uh, what is it called the king's drop yeah isn't that what dalinar uses to like bind the the thrill or whatever yep and so yep. it's it's kind of supposed that like if she hadn't delayed those original parsh they would have gotten out with it Right before Dalinar ever showed up or any of that, right? If she hadn't been able to delay them ten minutes or fifteen minutes or whatever it was, which I thought was was cool. Like, um, uh, I just want to like about the whole final battle scene. Like all of the Dalinar stuff was badass. The Yasna stuff was cool, but like surprise, my surprise favorite part of that whole battle was Lift and Zeph together. Dude. Oh Same. yeah, yeah, like. <laughs> Those two together were so good. And we also passed up the like a lot crazy, of the characters. She calls him crazy face. Yeah, she calls him a lot of stuff. <laughs> I thought they were really good together, but I wanted to yeah. go back for a second and just say like we skipped over the only line from this entire series so far that made me laugh out loud. Okay, which one was that? It's when it's when Kaladin says to himself, thinking oh. sometimes I'm too hard on myself. And I'm like, that's your entire character. That's all you are is hard on yourself. Like, that's it. Yeah. Like, and it's like the fact that he used the word sometimes, I guess I'm too hard on myself. I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, that's it. That's, yeah, like, no that's Kaladin. That's like, you. <laughs> yeah. There is something that Wit says in this book that I remember thinking was pretty funny, and now I can't think of it. Um, like, there but... are parts where I've, like, breathed out my nose, but, like, I actually laughed out loud on the bus when Kaladin <laughs> said, I guess sometimes I'm too hard on myself. I'm like, that's the most ridiculous understatement <laughs> I've ever seen in a book. Yeah. 
yeah, I I also loved the lift Zeth dynamic. They were a lot of fun. I love the fact that when do you guys know the name of the sword? I don't want to give it away if you don't. I know what he calls it all the time. Sword Sword Nimi, right? Nimi, yeah. Yeah, Sword Nimi. I think uh, uh I think Nimi is like a like an honorific. Yeah, it's like an honorific or yeah. So she but that's not the name of the sword. Right. So I won't use the name of the sword. So the, the sword talks I mean, about a lot of people that I assume are from other books. Indeed. <laughs> uh and it's not hard, like, you basically, if you read one of the other books, you'll know who the sword is immediately, because only one sword talks like that. <laughs> there can only be one that talks like fucking uh, Sword Nimi does, if you will. Uh, but when when the sword is fucking up Zeth and Lyft goes to help him, like, that's that's a pretty cool scene, too. Like... They did some good the good stuff in, in that entire section. Um, but when Dalinar claps the fucking realms together, he basically creates a mini honors perpendicularity between the three realms. And Kaladin and friends are able to use that perpendicularity to get back into the physical realm. And at the same time, you end up learning that... Uh, Basically, the way Stormlight works is it's, you know, the Stormfather kind of channeling Stormlight through the spiritual realm. It's like excess energy from the spiritual realm using Honor's Shard. And uh, so he also, like, basically Stormlights up the entire area, which makes... And also causes the realms to be, like, closer together, which makes Yasna start to fuck even more shit up. Like, there's a scene where you're from her perspective, and she's like, oh my god, I can just, like, feel everything right now and just do whatever I want. So she can, like, start to see Spren in the distance and things like that. Um, Shallan basically spends the entire battle having multiple personality disorder and also creating an entire, like, thousand-person fake army so that the thrill-encrusted... Sadius troops will think that they're fighting uh, that army. And she also does something new. She infuses each one with a little bit of extra stormlight and makes them feel a little more real. Um, so it's like they have some, like, substance to you them. know, substance to them. Uh, and then she sits there and has a, you know, maniacal powwow with herself while summoning this army. Kaladin defends Dalinar. While Dalinar using Shallan's trick of like, you know, get it, like knowing what the unmade loves to like entice the thrill to come into him, hoping that Lift and Zeth can go get the King's Drop, drop and he can imprison Nergaul into the King's Drop. Uh, Adolin, I so Adolin continues to be one of my favorite characters because he's he's kind of flat in the best ways. And he's flat in the ways where he's just like, I'm not important anymore. Like, the entire world is fucked up, and now I can't... I'm like a little... I'm a pawn. Uh, but he's like, but I'm going to do my best. And so he goes and fights a thunderclast, and then he uh, ends up, like, learning his sword's name. Oh, right before they left Stagemar, his sword proactively saves him. Which is very fascinating in a world-building kind of way. There are some theories about what that means. Uh, I, so let's talk about that for a second. Because, like, 
every single character that like has gotten like become radiant other than and we just don't know him well enough lopin uh-huh. is like a fucked up person yeah and adolin is rather like okay and kind of normal and well adjusted yeah. like relative to the rest of the characters that have been radianted yeah and my my question is is it, do you have to be jacked up mentally in order to, in order to become a radiant or is Adolin not become a radiant because his sword is his sprin because they've bonded in some way that you're not supposed to be able to bond with a dead sprin and that maybe like their bond maybe he could like remeld with the sword fully to bring that sword back and that's why no other sprins are approaching Adolin like uh, no other that's an excellent theory. And I, I will say, every time people ask about this stuff, Brandon Sanderson always says, read and find out. So he's Well, then not publish saying, a book, bitch, and I keep reading. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so what, what was your theory, Rob? Uh, either you have to be mentally jacked up in some way to get... to, to attract a sprint, or Aelin's already bonded to a sprint, it's just his dead sword is a sprint he's bonded to and maybe his like bond with her is growing in such a way that he can bring her back from the dead, which is clearly a thing that this book is going to do a lot. My, my theory is the latter. I think that the way radiance works or my guess is that in the, in a new area era of radiance, the first people who become radiant are the people who were fucked up. Because only hardship could create someone that had to, like, swear an ideal. To, to become, quote-unquote, a code hero of one form or another. Um, but I don't think that that was true in the past. And I don't think it's true now that you had to be. I think subsequent Radiance will be more like Lopin. Well, they're, they will just, well Lopin might also be jacked up. He we might just, be well, jacked up. Story. Lopin isn't a Radiant, though. He's a Squire. No, he's no. He got he radiant. He he said the ideal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He has his own sprint that he plays hide and go seek with. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. At the very end, at the very end. Yeah. So all I'm saying, my theory would be that you don't have to be fucked up. It's just that it's harder for people to stumble across it because Kaladin. It's kind of like Sill won't tell Kaladin any of his ideals, but he's allowed to tell other people what the Windrunner ideals are. Right. Right. And so my theory is that subsequent people won't necessarily have to be fucked up and have to like learn through trial and error, error and like literally become a code hero incarnate. They will just have to like understand the ideals and be able to swear them and, and believe them. So like I, I, I find a lot of the chapters where it's Kaladin alone to be difficult to read just because I find Kaladin as a character like really annoying. Okay. Uh, um, but in a lot of the chapters that are focused on Kaladin, he's surrounded by other characters that kind of like water him down a bit, and that makes mm. those chapters a lot of fun. It's like there's a balance there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm a little worried going into book four because it seems like he's going to make Rock broken too, and uh, Rock is one of my favorite characters mm. the way he is, and now he's going to just be another pouty Kaladin, and it, it's that's pretty dope that he. he... <laughs> fired that fucking huge-ass bow unassisted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we think he did it unassisted, but he might have been become a radiant in that moment. 
Yeah, I couldn't tell it, if we, we don't like know Stormlight yet. assisted or if they're just like, he is that fucking strong. That's true, but Kaladin basically says that even him having sworn the third ideal could not have pulled the bow, he thinks. Hmm. So, like, Kaladin... No, 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 not Rock. I'm saying, like, right. Kaladin I... thinks Stormlight yeah, isn't yeah, enough. No. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, Odium gets freaked out when Ka- when Dalinar ascends, and so he fucking leaves. And then the Fused are like, eh, let's keep battling, so they keep battling. And then finally, Teft... Um, oh, behind the scenes, Teft is fucked up. He's, you know... Uh, basically a uh opiate addict and uh he swears the third ideal for himself which is first ideal the third he swears did he skip the first two you you don't see him do either of the first two you see him only do the third Uh, so you know he's had to have done the the first two at some point which was slightly different than kaladin he didn't have the same third idea that kaladin did correct it was close but not the same uh, he the the preamble was the same, or sorry, the independent clause was the same, which is I will protect even those I hate, comma, and then Kaladin's is so long as it is right, and Tef's is even if the one I hate the most is myself. Um, so it's kind of cool that like you start to learn oh the ideals don't have to be the same for everyone, like oh I thought Kaladin is. I thought that was implying that he wasn't a Windrunner, that he was a different... Oh, no, he's oh, a Windrunner okay. for sure. No, I think it's 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 got to have that same, like, meat. It's the same base. But, like, the it's almost like he was... The way he arrived there and the part of his character that will give him that code is... So I feel like Kalanin's third ideal is going to come back to bite him in the ass, right? Because so long as it is right is something he hasn't figured out yet, right? <laughs> he doesn't believe that the cause that him and Dalinar have, for example, is technically the right one. I, I Right? So... I like how the the oaths really are just like agreeing to a set of rules and they can be subjective and it's not like... And it's not even necessarily that if you swear these oaths, you are automatically like a good person because yeah. like um Teravangian the um the radiant that he has with Malata. Him, yeah. Uh it's a she, right? She yeah, yeah she Malata. Uh she kinda makes some comment that like it's wrong to just assume that even a spren bonded to a radiant wouldn't necessarily side with odium. Yeah. And, or, or like how, um, the Nin, what? The, the Nin, the skybreaker herald. Yeah. Um, how he tells all the skybreakers that they should, uh, swear their allegiance to whoever who they think is like the ultimate authority on Roshar and a bunch of them think it's Odium because he's about to they think he's about to like rule Roshar and but yeah. Zeth chooses Dalinar as the, the ultimate law of the land yeah 
It's yeah, I, I I like that too. That it's not it doesn't automatically mean that you're a good person. It doesn't automatically mean that you have the same reasons even for swearing at ideals, so on and so forth. Like it, it's cool stuff. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed the scene uh, with Adolin fighting. I think you know I've always enjoyed his character. I would like to see something happen with his blade um, at some point. I think that's an interesting theory, Rob. Uh, but yeah, that's they. Then they win the battle. Teft and all of them show up. They win the battle. People start getting healed. All kinds of stuff like that. Um, yeah, good times. The two heralds leave. So Shalash and Tom show up, and then they leave. Um, Shalash like feels what it, her father die. Her yeah, she feels Jezrian die. Um, and then she basically says that she's going to take Tom to Ishar, I think, who's the fucking crazy ass guy, uh, like God came oh, okay. to car or whatever. Yeah. yeah when, when she so, first finds Tom, he's like lucid very briefly. And then he stops being lucid. Yeah. It's, it's almost like what Dalinar did made him lucid briefly. And then, yeah, and then he slowly descends back into... Repeating himself insanity. about the... So there's a concept in the Cosmere that's made a little bit more clear by other books, but also this book a little bit. Uh, the fact that Zeth has a shadow. Oh, yeah, his, right? his soul is like only partially attached to his body. Yeah, and Nin basically says it's because his soul is not properly connected to him in the spiritual realm. And that's a property of the Cosmere called Connection, with a capital C. And so the, the prevailing, or at least my theory about Tom, is that because Dalinar brought the realms together, he briefly brought Tom's uh, connection with his spirit closer to him, his physical self. But they, and Tom, they never talk about Tom having an afterimage, though. No, but I think it's in a different way. Like, I think... His his severing of his soul is different, right? It's not the same way that Zeth's was severed. Is it? And it may not even be severed. It's just like uh, psychotically fucked up. Like his 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 physical body just isn't as properly quote unquote connected to his spiritual mind, if you will. What caused Zeth's to be slightly detached? Was it his fight with Kaladin? Yeah, the shard yeah. blade. It's like the shard blade removed his soul from his body, and his soul started drifting away. And then Nin brought him back, and his soul hasn't quite drifted back in. He's basically a construct with a soul trailing behind him. The like when you when I think about how it looks like visually when I picture it, it's a it's a very like anime esque kind of yeah, thing that he has like. Same. Like in anime, when someone's moving really fast, they usually have an after image. <laughs> yeah, that's the way I picture it too. Uh, so yeah, what are your reviews? Um, I enjoyed it. I I thought it was a really uh, that battle of Thalen Field was like a really cool way to end the book. It was very climactic, um, and like a lot of plot lines came together at once um and i liked how they ended it with um 
Teravangian actually swearing his oath to Odium. Which, yeah. that, that kind of confused me, because I thought he was trying to prevent the next Cataclysm. I think he probably still is. He saw that one part of the text that was blacked out about uh, about Alad- Calad- or Aladar's brother, whose name I forget right now. Alad- Aladar. I mean... Oh, Gavilar. Dalinar's brother. No, Adolin's brother. Oh, Renarin. Renarin. Okay. There's a yeah, piece yeah, of the yeah, text yeah, yeah. that wasn't like lit up, and it was about Renarin. And I think that Teravangian may have, in that moment, seen a way to get around Odium based on the text that was blacked out that Odium couldn't see, and it was about Renarin. And so I think I, I still think that Teravangian is against Dalinar, but I don't think he's for Odium. Yeah, he's somewhere in the middle. Um, my my only theory was that he. That maybe he thought that he could, that it was the conflict of Odium versus the rest of Roshar that actually causes the cataclysm. And if he just like swore his allegiance to Roshar, the two, sorry, to Odium, that it would like prevent the actual like battle that's so devastating from happening. Well, I mean, the battle is obviously still going to happen because Odium pretty much promises to wipe out every single human on Earth except for the people in his city. So that sounds like a pretty devastating yeah. battle. Yeah. I know. Like, it, it didn't... I I wasn't really clear on what his motivations were there. But anyway, um, I really enjoyed the book. I'm looking forward to reading the next one and maybe in between now and then uh, on my own time I'll read something up something else in the cosmere universe so i'm gonna like i was gonna read a few if we were gonna move on to the emperor's blades but since it sounds like we're gonna take a break i'm gonna reread all of them (laughs) yeah um that sounds like a good idea so about my review like what i was gonna what i was gonna say is if i had to review all three books and give them different scores like if that was a requirement I would give the second book a 10, the first book a 9, and the third book an 8. Interesting. Uh, just so you know, that's how most of the world would, would do the same thing, too. If you look on Goodreads, uh, that's about the ranking that, that, <laughs> that they have. Well, then I guess that uh, I'm right. Yeah. I, think I, I think I liked the third book the most. I was about to say, I think I'm 1-3-2. I, it's almost always impossible for me to not like the first book the most. There's something that, like, when you like a series, the first book just fucking clicks, and you're like, oh my god, this is so mm-hmm. cool. Um, and so that's almost why, like, I would just say one is cheating. It, it's always the first for me in any series. So, but yeah, one, three, two for me. See, I, I didn't, I didn't like the first chunk of the first book. And uh, as, as we've yeah. discussed before, whereas yeah. the third book, I felt like everything like finally came together, and I was like, "All right, some shit's about to happen." Like some real important, like world-changing stuff is about to happen. It feels yeah. it so feels like, like the last book in a series in a lot of ways. It does, yeah. It does, yeah. Uh, like for me. The last three hours, the audiobook for the third book, for the people who didn't hear the audiobook, are 58 hours long. And the last three hours were the best three hours in the series. 
but the first 55 to me were like the worst 55 <laughs> in the series. Interesting. So, yeah, okay. like, it was like Feast of Crows in the Game of Thrones series where they were setting up a bunch mm. of important stuff that was important to set up, yeah. but that still makes Feast of Crows the, the most worst book. boring <laughs> book. And then, oh my god, A Dance of Dragons is so fucking good. Yeah, so, like, I, I understand... I understand it, and that's why I kept going through it, even though, like, I'm like, to me, this is not as interesting as the first two books were. But yeah. then the last three hours, the climax was like, okay, a lot of that had to get set up to make this as important feeling as it feels. Yeah, I I will say that I was probably one, two, three until this reread, and now I'm one, three, two. Like, I enjoyed the third book way more having... Uh, having read it a second time. I don't know why, um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it way more. Yeah. We need to talk about the next book, but it sounds like we're going to take a break until January. Yeah, the holiday season is going to be tough for me personally, scheduling-wise, and I'm just going to fall hopelessly behind if we assign ourselves a book, and then you guys will have finished the book if you aren't as busy as me, which I, I don't know. Uh, and then you'll just be waiting on me, and that's not cool. So uh, we will pick a new book. We'll have Steven back on to to help us choose the new book for the new year, though I think it's already predetermined what it'll yes. be. But we don't... I think it's my choice, and just because you guys were so gracious to, and maybe Rob will, uh, well, we'll see. Anyway, you guys were so gracious to, to read my bookies with me. Uh, Stephen asked me to read the first book in a series uh, that I also enjoyed, that first book. I haven't read the second two yet, and so I figured we could start out with that. And I think that's also a trilogy right that now. Is, that is... Only a trilogy. There's not going to be more. Only? Okay. Yeah, uh, so we will announce that officially uh, in January, the beginning of January, after the holiday season. Yep. Um, until then, if you need more Stephen goodness, I think he has a podcast. You know what? You're right. I do have a podcast. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> it's called Nailed Mind it. the Headspace. Um it's a monthly podcast where I invite a different uh, DJ or producer from the DFW area to do a, a a mix, a DJ mix that is at least 45 minutes long. And it tends to be like the kind of more eclectic, kind of like left field side of electronic music. It's not always electronic dance music, but it frequently is. Um and the next couple months, I have some some first timers, so that should be fun. Nice. Um, in addition to that, you can send me and Aaron directly messages via on the Facebook. There's a group, still got nothing. You can send us an email, still got nothing at gmail dot com. Uh, you can tweet at us, it's still got nothing. Although that is not the advised way to do it. Um. <laughs> But those are those will be those will be considered valid. Uh, anything else you guys want to add? Nope. 